Hey, real quick, a quick word of thanks to today's sponsor, Vertex Innovations, before we get started. For over 17 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps their clients. So if you're looking for more of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-U-S.com. Welcome to the 5G Guys Podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Welcome back for season three of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith, joined by my co-host, Dan McVaugh. Hey, Wayne. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Great to be back for uh, for a new season, kicking off third season of the podcast. Um, today, we're kicking off this first episode with uh, our guest, Jason Jennings. Uh, Jason is currently the general manager of, G- of the Digital Integration Group at Mortensen. He and his team are responsible for managing Mortensen's low-voltage service offerings, um, where they focus on wireless connectivity delivered throughout what are called distributed antenna systems. And we'll talk a little bit about what that is in a bit. He led the creation of Mortensen's Digital Integration Group, and under his leadership, this team has deployed solutions in uh, famous entertainment and sports venues such as the Pfizer Forum for the NBA Milwaukee Bucks, the Allegiant Stadium for the NFL Las Vegas Raiders, and Climate Pledge Arena for the NHL Seattle Kraken. So, uh, Jason, thanks for being here. Excited to have you. Happy to join. Great, great. Thanks, Jason, for taking the time to chat with us. But before we dive in... For those listening, can you give, uh, and who aren't familiar with Mortenson, can you give us some background on, on Mortenson and its story? It's Sure, sure. Well, we are a uh, family-owned, privately held construction and real estate development firm. We operate across the U.S. and internationally where our customers ask us for help. Uh, about half the company is uh, uh, renewable energy focused. So we are the uh, largest, second largest builder. It depends upon the year of solar uh, and wind farms at utility scale. Also a strong power division. But the part of the group that I'm in is in what we call vertical construction, and that is commercial construction across the U.S. I am part of our sports and entertainment group where we build stadiums, arenas, and ballparks for Major League Soccer, Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, as well as Power 5 Conference uh, sports teams across the U.S. Uh, I've been with Mortensen for about six years, and uh, in that time, I have been uh, uh, helping develop our point of view and are helping our clients think through low-voltage and wireless solutions in, these, uh, in the vertical and construction projects that we build. Awesome. That's a great, great, great intro. I, I think um, anybody that's in a, any urban area, I'm sure, has probably seen a Mortensen construction sign somewhere along the way. I know I have. So uh, I know you guys are uh, are out there doing a lot of work. Uh, for for those that don't understand, when we talk about low voltage service offers, offerings, help us understand what that covers. And it does have to be all inclusive, but basically. 
Yeah, uh, at the very highest level, it's things that uh, I like to simplify it down and say if there's an Ethernet jack that plugs in or a uh, fiber optic cable that plugs into it or it's wireless, that's what we would consider low voltage in our world. So we think about the computer network that runs the our event, that runs the venue. Uh, I think about the wireless service like Wi-Fi as well as a distributed antenna system DAS to provide cellular service. Uh, in some cases, there can be lighting that is low voltage. Uh, we also think about security systems. Uh, think about uh, the point of sale system at, say, the concession stands at a stadium or arena. We think about some very specialized systems in uh, hospitals, for example, nurse call systems. So basically, anything where there's a, uh, a you know an Ethernet jack, a fiber optic cable, or uh, it's wireless. That's typically where we're, where we're working. Sometimes it's easier to say what it's not than what it is, right? Yes, indeed. And I'd say over time, we have seen uh, the low-voltage scope within the broader construction project grow, both from a revenue perspective, somewhere between, you know, 10 years ago, it was like 3 to 5% of the building costs. Now we're seeing it anywhere from 7 to 15% of the total building costs. That varies across building type, but uh, it's growing in terms of dollar value, as well as overall importance to the customer and to the building users themselves. It is a critical piece of infrastructure that really impacts how building users experience the built environment, as we'd say. So if you walk into a building and your phone doesn't work, you got a problem. Uh, that's a problem we are trying to solve. Got it, got it. And at the beginning, we, we talked about distributed antenna systems. I think this would be a good opportunity to, to help our audience understand what that means. So when you walk into a building that has a wireless system that's augmenting coverage, the the way that's typically done, but not always, but it's typically done these days by taking a, a signal, let's say a cellular signal, whether it's an outside signal that we're reamplifying to um, enhance it in the building or a dedicated cell site, and we're distributing that radio frequency through the building through some system of, of cabling and antennas where we've got multiple antennas spaced throughout the building, and those antennas are serving um, different areas of the building so that they can overcome wall losses and, and floor losses and other things. So for the audience, just uh, just to know, when we talk about distributed antenna systems, the acronym sometimes is called DAS, D-A-S. So that's that's what we're referring to and, and maybe uh, a big point of, of our discussion today because I know a lot of what you guys have been working on, what you work on, Jason, is, is DAS and DAS distributed antenna systems. Is that right? Yeah, that is. Uh, you know, we originally found the challenge in our largest sports venues. If you go to an NFL game uh, and there's 50, 60, 70,000 fans at the game, everyone wants to get a selfie or everyone wants to take a picture of kickoff or everyone wants a video of them being there because as the, as the kids say, it picks or it didn't happen kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, that creates a real challenge from a, um, from a cell phone, a cell standpoint, uh, especially when you add in the fact that, uh, uh, often these buildings are the enclosure systems we call it the outside of the building is wrapped in what we call RF unfriendly materials often there will be glass that reflects out the signal signal that comes from the macro cell networks the cell towers outside uh, or there is thick concrete and steel that would cause interference or even more challenging it's actually an open space and you have 50,000 people sitting in a bowl it becomes really challenging to manage the signal so the easiest way that the engineers who thought about this is thinking about how do you distribute the antennas throughout the building? Uh, and that's what we, we try to do. Uh, it can be quite invasive to the construction of the building. If you look at an NFL venue, you can have anywhere, for, you know, thousands of antennas distributed throughout the building, each of which, you know, can be the size of a large pizza box, which had, finding places to put those things is a challenge. And doing so, that is in line with the architecture and the 
aesthetics of the building is particularly challenging. And that's kind of why Mortensen got into the business. We used to joke that it was the first renovation of a new venue. It was just done three months before the building was completed. And that created real problems for, uh, for our customers, let alone for the actual uh, fans who went to the game. And, the, you know, opening day, you don't want someone on a lift screwing an antenna right in front of your, uh, your premium luxury box. Not exactly the experience that you're looking for. Yeah, that you bring up a really good point, you know, to to that size. And this is I guess my commercial construction hat coming on a bit. When you when you look at the venue and you're planning something like this, so are you guys choosing architect and engineering firms that understand the DAS layout or is that a separate now vendor into the design of the whole complex because that's a great question. Uh, so the selection of a builder design team is a that's probably something for another podcast entirely. But often we are either selected concurrently, or uh, one of us is selected first. Uh, and I think usually the the design team is often selected first. You know, when a owner decides they dream or that a city decides they want to build a new venue, they're usually thinking the architecture first, and they think about how we're going to build this. Some will decide, hey, I, I know it's going to be a challenging build. They'll hire the contractor Mortensen first, and then hire the developer later, uh, the uh, design team later. And sometimes we'll work together in what's called design build, where we are jointly selected and work together. Um, I would say our design team friends uh, in the architecture space often think of the aesthetics first and the fan experience as well. And while they are contemplating the impact of uh, the wireless network or the low voltage systems, it's not the first thing they're thinking about. So part of our job is to help them think about this, to think about this system in context of the other systems. Usually we're grouped into the family systems called the mechanical, electrical, and plumbing, so the MEP systems, because it behaves very similarly to those systems. Physically intrusive, really important to the guest experience, not exactly the thing that you're dreaming of when you think about the architecture, but unless you have those things, it's not exactly going to be a fun experience. If you the air conditioning's not working, that there's no bathroom, there's no lights, and your Wi-Fi's not working, that's a real problem. So we help our customers think through the implications of the MEP systems in the construction of the building. Yeah, and, and you bring up, I think, a, an important point, and I'd be curious to get your take on this. You know, over the history of, of uh, these systems being put in buildings, you know, for a long time and still to this day, and you touch on it, sometimes an afterthought, uh, a building developer or an owner, a building manager oftentimes doesn't think of these as essential, but I think as we all know, wireless in particular, whether it be Wi-Fi or cellular, is becoming what Wayne and I call the fourth utility, right? It's as important as gas and electric. Are you starting to see now that, especially with some of these, you know, some of these top projects we've talked about, you guys have done Allegiant Stadium for the Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, that's brand new. Are, are you starting to see developers think of this proactively and as an asset that's required just like any other utility? Or are you finding that it's still sometimes a, a sale you have to do to help them help convince them of the importance? I think there's broad awareness of this is a problem in the industry. I think there are so many competing demands on the building owner or the team that's occupying the venue or the developer that the the juggling, you're not juggling three or four, you're juggling 25 balls. So this is one of the 25 balls that they are juggling, acknowledging that it's up there, but often if you're juggling 25 balls, it can become exactly which one is in the air at any given time. So part of our job is to make sure that they never forget 
forget that this ball is in the air and also make sure they never drop it. So um, I would say, once again, broad awareness of this challenge, the broad awareness that this is the fourth utility in my previous acronym of MEP. We would like to say MEPT. We try to get there, but I'd say we're probably not on the same level as the electrical or the mechanical yet, but we are aspiring to get there. But I think there is awareness that this is a problem. So if I were to be thinking about that acronym, it's probably capital M, capital E, capital P, lowercase t, but the lowercase t is gradually growing to a full, uh, uppercase t as well, right? Got it. Oh, that's pretty, that's awesome. You know, so when you talk about, you know, DAS systems, you know, there's differences in them. Do you know, in the large venue, is it always one placement is optimal and the, the term neutral host? Do you guys always build a neutral host type environment so that all of the players in the tech and the wireless, you know, the TMOs, the AT&T, Verizon, they can all participate? Or is that just by customer? It's a great question. We look at it from a sort of slightly different perspective. We think about it in terms of what would be the optimal design to, to provide wireless performance, what would be the optimal system that minimizes the impact to the construction and to the aesthetics. So in many cases, that would be a neutral host system because you are reducing the amount of equipment that you have to distribute throughout the building. However, as certain technologies develop, we acknowledge you might want to make the trade-off to provide better performance, even if that means more equipment. Our strong, all things held equal, we would say the less equipment, the better, typically lead towards a neutral host solution, which means it's less invasive to the building and less impactful to the architecture. But if you decide that, hey, uh, you know, this podcast is called the 5G guys, right? If you decide you want 5G, there's some trade-offs you have to make that are inevitable. And that we would help to try to minimize the impact of any uh, any system that would be dedicated to any individual carrier or individual, individual technology. Yeah, and, and to, to I think it's probably pretty clear, but to clarify for our listeners, by neutral host, what we mean is it's one system built to be shared with multiple carriers. It could be two, it could be five, uh, and, and you can run multiple services. doesn't necessarily even have to just be cellular on that system, although that's traditionally the case, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'd say to that end, once again, in our point of view, the less stuff, the better. The less stuff you need to hide, the less stuff you need to build, the less conduit you need to run, less cables, the less things to go wrong. So mm-hmm. less is better for us and from a construction standpoint. But we acknowledge there are a, a, inevitable trade-offs and it's never, all things are never equal. So how do you think about providing the best solution in con, in context of the constraints that you have for a particular project? Right, right. And for those that may have listened to some of our earlier episodes, we had an episode in, I can't remember Wayne, if it was season one or two with Chris from Comba, and we were talking about the use of distributed antenna systems for public safety radios, first responder radios, right? That's a, that's a similar use case, but very different um, justification. Um, in many cities around the country, it's required by a code that that system be put in to make sure that first responder radios work in that venue, whereas as it sits right now, these other communication systems are not required by code. It's purely driven by the the marketplace, right? Yeah, that's a great point. So when you think about an emergency response system, we often will require, you know, the what we call the AHJ, the authority having jurisdiction, whether it's the city or the county, the municipality or the state or whatever it might be, uh, they often will not award uh, what we'd call certificate of occupancy. You can't use the building, the CFO as we'd call it, uh, until you have a um, 
a public safety system uh, man, uh, install up to their standards. So that can vary. Some municipalities are flexible and will let you use uh, the local local network. Some will require a, a dedicated distributed antenna system. So we often think through that. Now, the commercial DAS provides cell phone service to consumers and customers around the, the country and the globe. That's a little different consideration, but we are absolutely dead set focused on making sure you can get in the building on opening day. So the ERS, ERS system, absolutely critical. Uh, the commercial system, we often will make sure that we're trying to align it because if you get an opening day and your phone doesn't work, also a problem. So we think about both, but definitely the public safety system is a first class must have commercial system, something that we're definitely trying to accelerate, but you can't, you can open the building without it for better, better or worse. And, and technically they can all go on a neutral host DAS system technically, but on, in some cases it's not allowed by code. They have to be separate systems. What are you seeing in the marketplace today in terms of coexistence of those systems? Once again, our position would be less. the less stuff, the better. The challenge that we'll have is if they are on different timelines, um, we, once again, are contractually, we as a builder are held to a, a substantial completion date, uh, typically tied to that certificate of occupancy. So we will, uh, if we have to accelerate one, we will accelerate the uh, public safety system, even if that means it needs to be a separate system from the commercial DAS. So many of the choices that we are advising, it's not a question of technology. We're not a question of equipment. It's a question of expediency from a construction and legal standpoint. So often I would argue that the technology outruns the law uh, or outruns the code or outruns the, the the ability of our customers and us to make decisions. So I think it's an interesting uh, thing that I've, I've always struggled with. There's a lot of things that we can do technically that just can't get done because of decision-making timelines or the law or the code. Oh, interesting. So, you know, when you talk about commercial construction at this scale, I mean, it's a large undertaking, usually hundreds of millions or billions of dollars in infrastructure. How do you guys, what do you think about future proofing it? You know, so you said, you know, if you're, if you're doing your design, there's tons of steel and concrete. How do you look at the venue and does it have a lifespan with the technology side of it, the low voltage? Or is it future-proofed into the design and the construction? That's a great question. I would say I I don't like to use the word future-proof. It implies a level of certainty, which I don't think is uh, fair, especially for systems that move relatively quickly. Uh, What I would say is most commercial, well, most uh, large public venues, stadiums, arenas, ballparks, have a useful life of 30 to 40 years, right? Uh, before you need an absolutely uh, mega renovation. Interestingly, the MEP systems, though, typically often have a useful life of 15 to 20 years. So often there will be a renovation at that midpoint of the useful life of the venue, and the owner starts thinking about, or the, whether it's the team owner or the developer or the city starts thinking about, what do I want to invest in the system? So when I... I I think you're more buying yourself some insurance versus future-proofing, and it gives you a little bit more a run at the edge of that first major renovation that 15 to 20 years out. So our advice would say, would say, hey, look, you know, all of these systems run on different um, cycles, right? Think about the endpoint device in your hand, the endpoint, your phone, mm-hmm. the life cycle of a phone. If you're like me, you upgrade every year. You're very happy, very excited about the next Apple iPhone introduction, right? You're going to upgrade every year. Uh, some devices, say security, that's a little bit longer cycle. We're talking years. Um, so what we try to do is think about matching the cycle of the endpoint device uh, and matching the, think of the cycle of the other endpoint devices that have a little longer life and what's the longest cycle thing. 
Our argument is fiber is the longest cycle thing. Fiber is going to be useful for 15, 20, 30 years. Conduit similarly. So invest in the thing that is the longest cycle and least likely to change. That gives you the most insurance to, against the change, inevitable change in the endpoint device, whether it's an antenna or a Wi-Fi access point or a point of sale device, whatever it might be. So invest in fiber, invest in conduit, pull it as many places you possibly can. And that gives you a little bit more run on that first uh, uh, first down renovation. And if you really get lucky and you get something iconic like a Wrigley Field or Dodger Stadium or a, a Fenway Park, uh, then you can also give you a little more flexibility in the long run to keep that iconic structure in place uh, such that it becomes a part of the culture and beyond, uh, beyond a, just a, even a venue. You, and you, you're kind of just touching on something that I wanted to, to ask about as well, which is the difference between, you know, coming in and putting a system in, you know, Allegiant Stadium for the Raiders, brand new construction, you're part of that brand new construction versus, let's say, a Fenway Park, an old iconic structure that you have to come in and fit your system into after the fact as an addition or an upgrade. Talk a little bit about the differences and, and what's more complex, which more, what's more efficient, or, or are they just different? I would say they are different. I've, Mortensen generally has done greenfield builds where we have torn down the existing venue and put up a brand new ve- venue on a brownfield site or a greenfield site. And I would say building in line, installing a system in line with the construction is a significantly uh, uh, significant savings both from a labor as well as materials and uh, exp- uh, point of view on the order of 20 to 40% less expensive to do so. And what drives that is essentially if you wait till the last second, typically you're going to need to run overtime and to compress your schedule to get the system in. So in my joke earlier around the first renovation done in the last three months, if you can stretch that time out over, instead of being the last three months, over the 24 months or 12 months, uh, you get a lot more uh, flexibility from your labor standpoint. Secondly, we reduce what we'd call rework costs. So if you don't put and design the system in line with the construction of the building, typically you're going to, need to go and put the antenna in or the conduit in someplace that was already finished. So our, our nightmare is you don't decide for a system. We finished the most expensive square per square foot spaces in the building. Think the premium boxes, luxury boxes, the premium clubs. The system gets jammed in there at the very end. You have to go tear out the Brazilian teak hardwood and the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the polished wood that was polished with unicorn tears. That's typically very expensive from a material standpoint. So our argument would be that you design in the system so we don't have to cut up the beautiful wood that you put in or tear up the terrazzo floors or attach ugly conduit to the, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the Italian applied plaster, those sorts of things. And those savings can be significant from a, uh, from a construction standpoint. I will say that also our experience as well perspective of system owners. Typically, if we plan that way, you get better performance because you can have a debate before the concrete is poured, before the steel is erected on where the antenna should go. So you can sort of better model the rest of the antennas in terms of their performance and how you actually model the system. Are you, Yeah, that's a great point. Do you guys, are you using 3D technologies in like Revit or those kind of tools with your DAS and community and low voltage systems as they do in other you know trades? That's a great question. So, yes, we will have a building model, uh, the 
BIM model, building information model, mm-hmm. where we will plan the building, not even in 3, actually in 4D. So we say is over time, how will the building construct? The typical construction time frame for a large public venue is anywhere between 27 to 40 months. So we can go down to the day and sometimes down to the hour by system to show what should be installed from the moment that you start digging the hole to the very uh, substantial completion. And we model every system that we can in this. What's interesting is the software that's often used for modeling wireless systems, a piece of software called IBWave, doesn't necessarily play as well with some of the existing building information models as you might think. So we're often hand, um, I say hand, we have a, a team of dedicated construction modeling professionals who will hand place in the model where the antennas go, but the actual RF propagation doesn't actually be, live in Revit. So there's a lot of translation between what the IBWave file says, what Revit, the Revit model says, and that what our 4D model will say, and kind of when you want to install things and where. So you kind of have to imagine what the RF propagation looks like. And there, uh, if anyone from IBWave is listening, we'd love to talk more about this one, <laughs> because it's a problem we have to deal with every day. We'd love to get around that problem, right? Yeah. And, and you know, my experience in new large venue construction has also been that a lot of the really small details that may not be called out in the design kind of creep up, right? Our antennas are competing for space with things like exit signs or other building systems that you would think would have been coordinated, but they aren't always. And so it's important that it's not just a good design. It's a good execution. It's a good team on the ground. It's somebody that's good about working across multiple trades so that you can negotiate with the different trades so that you're not stepping on each other's toes. And, and that's, that's a complex problem that I'm sure, you know, having somebody like Mortensen on your team helps resolve that. Whereas I've been on systems where it's a different design team from all the different trades, none of which were coordinated until the day that you're installing and it can get difficult. Yeah, that's, you know, you mentioned the keyword there, coordination. I think many folks who enter this, because usually if you're building a stadium arena, you're probably doing it once, maybe twice in your career, probably once. And you don't have a ton of experience in this. And some things you might have some intuition from doing previous projects, but um, that intuition doesn't always hold. Also, the, even the words we choose, like coordination, can seem like how hard could that be to coordinate it? How hard should it be to, to, to pat your head and rub your belly at the same time? It can be extremely difficult. And while it seems like it's a simple word that gets thrown around to do it really, really well, it's quite difficult. So we're not talking, you know, rub your belly, pat your head coordination. We're talking, you know, uh, U.S. Open level returning serve tennis. Uh, we're in tennis season right now. Returning serve level of coordination. And that, while it seems easy to say and can look graceful at the very end, to do so requires hours and hours and hours of practice and reps and just discussions to get that level of coordination to avoid any unnecessary cost or or trade off system performance or hit to the aesthetics or whatever it might be. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing the level of detail and man hours that goes into doing these things. I think a question that hit me is, you know, are you be able to, you know, since you guys have built some current venues in state of the art, you know, what are some fan experiences that you think, you know, from the work that you do, like even from the new stadium, the Raiders and the Kraken, you know, what kind of fan experience can they expect out of venues, not just the current ones, but the ones in the future? Yeah, I think um, right now the current uh, thing is cashless, paperless transactions, just to walk in and bring as little um, 
paper, if ideally zero, with you. So no cash, no tickets, no nothing. I think the future is going to be further reducing the seams because right now you still need to take your phone out, still need to scan it. I think the future is going to be tight coordination between um, the device which everybody carries, uh, even touch their wearable, their watches, and making the, the experience even more seamless. So we have seen mock-ups where uh, premium spaces, the um, a premium guest doesn't need to take out their device at all. They're recognized. Right now it's done typically there's a usher there who actually recognizes the person, but if you can actually take that usher out of the equation and have them focus on even more premium experiences and have the customer not think about just fumbling around for a ticket, fumbling around for what their order is. So uh, I think that, from a coordination standpoint, requires truly seamless communication between the different technologies because technology works at a one-foot radius. It's different from technology that works at a 10-foot radius, which is different from one that works at a 100-foot radius. And the interaction between those different technology systems is typically where I think there's some opportunity to become even more um, seamless, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you add in, you know, other building systems that are also riding on that same network, right? Sensors, monitors, cameras, you know, and, and you're starting to see, I, I've had that experience at an NFL stadium that you're describing where you, you go in and maybe you scan your credit card once, but from that point on, every time I pick up a beer or pick up a popcorn, I just walk out. I don't go to a cashier to check out. There's systems that are monitoring what I'm doing, what I'm picking up, and they know where to charge it. It's pretty amazing already, and I'm sure it's going to continue to change quickly, and our experiences can continue to, to surprise us every time we go back. Yeah, and I do think that um, the interplay between the different low-voltage systems is where, I'm saying, technically speaking, in a lab, you can do a lot of things. But practically speaking, when you actually need to build the thing and make it work in uh, in real life, that's where the challenges occur. So our job is to think through, okay, what is technically achievable versus what is constructible and be able to push what's technically achievable as close to constructible as you possibly can get. Um, and there, inevitably, they will never always reach because typically the technology they're very smart. They're pushing out the, the boundaries of what is what is technically possible. Uh, but we're always trying to make sure those things are as close as you can get, right? So, uh, for example, that ticketless, cashless, uh, lineless experience, right? A lot of that's interaction between a uh, visual system, a camera system, as well as the wireless system. So, how do you think through the interactions between the cameras and the uh, and the wireless? Uh, that's something that we think a lot about. Uh, now, right now, often we are building out what we call a shell space where we say, hey, look, the room is empty. You provider who is going to provide this, uh, you know, uh, ticketless or this uh, paperless experience, plug in the cameras wherever you want, right? We'll go from there. Our goal is to say, hey, look, if you had thought through this through, maybe you put more cameras in better spots or have different infrastructure different places to preserve more space for um, for sellable goods. Your planogram, as we call it, can be broader and offer more variety, or you have more space to actually cook things. So the earlier we get the coordination, the more we think about the interaction of these systems, the more we can take what's technically possible and make it uh, uh, actionable in real life. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Wow. Well, th- listen, Jason, this has been awesome. I think uh, this this really helps us understand the direction things are going. A- and I, I would expect that over time, we will start to see these types of intelligence systems penetrate further down into into the building environments that we all visit, right? Um, you, you're focused on entertainment and sports, uh, but I, I imagine that we're going to start seeing more and more of this in Class A, Class B office buildings, things of that nature, and, and they already are, right? 
Absolutely, yeah. They already are, I would say, Class A office space. It is an expectation that you have seamless wireless without uh, question. Um, and I think the opportunity is to bring the cutting-edge experience that you'd find in a large public venue, a sporting event like an NFL venue, or like a, often Disney leads the way, the experience you would have at a Disney park, bringing that experience to a broader audience in Class A office, in top tier uh, uh, hospitality, as well as in healthcare is something that our team is also focused on as well. We just find that uh, the biggest, hairiest challenges are in the sports space, and uh, the, the challenge of delivering a capacity solution for as many people as you can can see if you can make it work in a baseball stadium or in a major league soccer venue or an NFL stadium or a, a, a NBA stadium uh, arena you can make it work in uh, in a venue so we try to we try to cut our teeth and do the hardest ones and then bring it bring it beyond there so we have a lot a lot of fun with that yeah i look forward to and this is we just went to a concert the other night and both my daughters phones went dead i look to towards the wireless charging in those venues during a show yeah. You know, for battery life, but that's a whole nother podcast and a whole yeah. other uh, subject. To talk about I think that episode sixteen, Wayne. We recorded right. it a year yeah, or so this ago. Is, this yeah. is the five G guy. That's the electrical engineering guys. That's probably their podcast. A little, little, little different directory on the on Apple podcast. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, thanks. I mean, Dan, I'll let you wrap it up. I mean, you know, this has been a great inform. Man, so much great information. I think our listeners will really enjoy this one. Yeah, thanks, Jason. I really appreciate it. And um, you know, just to remind everybody, I know it's been a, it's been a minute since our last uh, season, but uh, always connect with us on five gguyscom dot com. Uh, we're on all the social media platforms. Uh, just look for Five G Guys, and you'll find us. Uh, been getting a lot of great feedback during the uh, the off season, if you will, between last season and this episode season. Um, have some some of the content we're working on is uh, from listeners like you that have reached out to us with ideas. Um, so keep them coming. And uh, Jason, thanks again. And I look forward to uh, to catching up uh, down the road on some of the other things you guys are doing. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Jason, where can people find you at or Mortensen? I mean, it's a good. Yeah, uh, you can find us at Mortensen, M-O-R-T-E-N-S-O-N dot com. Uh, we have a page on our website titled Digital Integration. Uh, that's the group that I work with. Uh, and we also think about our sports entertainment practice. So if you ever want to build a new stadium, anyone out there, please give me a call or build a new desk. I'm happy to help. All right. Right. We'll, we'll put it. We'll put a link in the show notes, Jason. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Five G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at fiveGguys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family. 